As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Folks, welcome into Onto Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. First pod of 2023. I think I, I think I nailed the intro there. That was the first try. Didn't have to do multiple takes. It's because it's been a minute, gentlemen. It's been a minute since we chatted. I, I, a compliment to all of us, not just to you guys. I'm, I'm including myself. It's really, I want to compliment myself, but I have to include you guys because you're here. I got tons of people being like, Hey, when's the next aunt Waveland dropping? Are you guys done? Is it coming back? What's, what's going on? I probably heard that from 50 people over the last couple of weeks. So we have, we have some, some listeners who enjoy this. So it's, it's good to be back, uh, fresh off the Cubs convention, which is probably where we'll start our chatter for today. But how about how about this before we get you know deep into the weeds of the cub stuff any any big life updates over there? we haven't talked in about a month it's been about a month so how are you guys how are we doing how are we living oh man well you're catching me right i i slept in this morning and got a text from patrick like we still doing this podcast and i was like oh yeah i'm glad i woke up before 9 a.m uh, which is so my big life update is i have two kids that when there's no school they actually sleep past like 8 a.m. and it's just like revelatory and thus you get to sleep yeah as well. so this is that's that's my life update because that didn't used to happen but that started during winter break and i was like this is amazing uh so <laughs> so i'm definitely leaning into that <laughs> uh most i was disappointed brett i didn't get a chance to see you in person i got there uh super early and was waiting in line before your autograph <laughs> session well did you pull a did you pull a winning ticket to get one of my autographs <laughs> you know because you had to it was no, a random draw <laughs> you know i don't just sign for anybody <laughs> there's always next year i guess that's right so i'll you know i'll send you a premium voucher at some point 
over the next year. We did. We did talk. Uh, Patrick and I did talk to someone that had was going to their first. It was their first convention, and they were kind of thrown off at how long the lines were. They thought they could show up like half an hour before the lines start, like before the autograph thing started and there'd be like 10 people in line or something he's like it wasn't even like a big name and i was like yeah no the lines get crazy like you like you'll ask someone what's what's this really long line for and it'll just be be like really that's what it's for it's like winding all the way through these hallways yep but that's how it is at cubs convention well it's funny you mentioned that because i was thinking that so you know it was uh three years since the last convention the the last two were um, canceled due to, I guess, nominally the pandemic. Um, so 2020 was the last one. It was kind of a last event before the pandemic kicked in. And it, I, I almost needed the refresher of re- being reminded that the convention means very different things to different groups of people. Like like you're saying, a lot of people, it is. It's that opportunity to, to, to get close to a player and have them sign something, say, hey, take a picture. Uh, for other people, it's you know, going to the panels and seeing the discussions, the various topics for others. Still, it's just an opportunity to be around a bunch of other Cubs fans and just enjoy that experience and the atmosphere. And I think certainly for me, that's the part that I was most looking forward to and the part that I did enjoy the most. I I felt like I saw a lot of people I wanted to see and talk to and say, hey, but also just to to observe the the vibe um, particularly coming off the last month's worth of transactions and as people start sort of feeling ahead to, to the season that's coming. I mean, we're under a month from uh, pitchers and catchers reporting now at this point. And I, I often have to be reminded that the nature of a fan convention, the folks who are going to come tend to be the types that are predisposed to being excited about the team and the positive five, you know, you're not going to pay to come to the convention just so that you can lustily boo everything uh, in front of you. But still, I thought it was, I thought it was a, a nice and generally positive energy. Uh, that, that was my, my read on things in terms of just whether there was fun there to be had. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I think this, that happens this time of year, right? I, I kind of wrote about how Cubs convention is a time for positivity and unbridled op- optimism. But, and that continues. Uh, for me, this happens every spring training where I look at the beginning of spring training. I'm like, yeah, I can see it. I can see wh- where this, how this works out. You know, the non-2016, 17 years where it's obvious that they're going to compete. But, but you kind of like put it all together and kind of look at all the best case scenarios. And for me, this is, always how it works out for me by the end of spring training i'm like yeah no no they're not good enough (laughs) this isn't gonna work (laughs) and i could go from one end to the other uh and think of every negative so we'll see all the negatives that pop up but right now i i think my i i really like the way they went about their offseason in the sense that they improved in numerous areas various numerous positions uh created depth and built up a defense and and they just look like a better team i i I don't go into this uh moment right now wondering saying yeah yeah this is definitely uh nl central winner but i can see a scenario where they compete and uh, my biggest thing is that cardinals offense is so good with so much youth with it as well so even if you're the type that says well, Arenado and Goldschmidt can't do that again. 
you can you, you can just say well Dylan Carlson could break out and you know Jordan Walker could come up and and be the superstar that everyone expects him to be on offense and and uh, there's there's like two or three other offensive guys that I'm missing and and Wilson Contreras is taking over for Yadier Molina and that's an upgrade on offense so so even if you want to be the one that says those superstars that can't maintain that superstar level or that insane MVP level it's that that Cardinals team just scares me offensively but but this Cubs team is so much better than it was last year in my opinion even though I think we still I'm I'm sure you get it too Brett but there are people that just want to give pushback on that and I think because they don't realize how bad they, they just can't accept how bad some of those positions are that you know someone like Eric Osmer and Trey Mancini are like so obvious upgrades even Cody Bell a bad a subpar Cody Bellinger is an upgrade over what they had in center field so it's it's just these some of these positions were so bad last year they that even though the Cubs offense overall was average and that one is losing Wilson Contreras, it's just a better team. And and it, it feels like there's this floor there. And I talked to a few coaches without me even bringing that up, and that's kind of been like a, a theme of mine. And a lot of the people that are going to be coaching these guys, they're like, they just feel more confident that this thing won't bottom out like it did in April and May. Yeah, I thought the my takeaway was just the – you really understood how much pressure the Cubs were under this off season to do something uh, because they couldn't go into this Cubs convention sitting on an even higher mountain of cash than they normally do. <laughs> and that, you know, the, a lot of the tension I felt had been kind of just drained from the event. Like, you know, the questions to Ricketts and um, you know, the, there used to be, you know, those just kind of like obvious news breaks of like, oh, what are they going to do with the Wrigley renovation or how come they're not spending? And obviously they could always spend more. And Steve Cohen was kind of like the, uh, you know, from their perspective, probably like the villain kind of looming over all of this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, they have done so much. We don't know if it's going to work or if these guys are, the team's going to be, any good but I wouldn't even call it just optimism but it wasn't just that antagonism that had really um overtaken the event in those years I mean it happened so like it was like flipping a switch there of like 2017 you know they're the kings of the baseball world and then it wasn't that long after you know the Descalso winter where like people were just you know going bonkers of like what's and some of those people worked for the Cubs. I'm like, what's uh, <laughs> what's going on here? And how come we're not really going for it? And, you know, they had, uh, I think everyone's kind of moment from the prior convention was, you know, you're not going to be booing Marquee in a year. And even that, I for, for me, selfishly, was helpful to be able to just record that at home. And I think it's great to just have that for posterity now instead of trying to, like, you know, squint your way to see who was that fan or what were they saying and then you know we're watching it from the side and in a lot in the room and to have like those reactions um kind of recorded was very helpful so i know everyone likes to uh you know make commentary on marquee but they put together a lot of live programming uh in a way that hadn't been done before 
And so in the future, there will certainly be way more awkward moments and tensions like that. So it'd be good to have that recorded so that we can really relive it and see it over and over again. <laughs> and strictly speaking, he wasn't wrong. Uh, people weren't there to boo Marquis the next year because there was no convention the next year. Uh, so he he was thinking ahead. Uh, so, no, I, I would I think I want to echo part of that just before we circle back to the the last month of Cubs offseason. I thought um, I did see parts of the marquee production um, while I was there. They had bits of it running out in the hallways and then also at the times when I wasn't down at the hotel. And I thought they really did do an exceptional job of carrying the convention in a way that it hadn't been before. I mean, previous years, you might get a portion of a panel on the radio or on a part of a broadcast, but I mean, Marquis carried the whole thing and did a really good job of sort of bouncing between the panels and then side interviews and other activities. And so kudos to the Marquis folks, because that was, that was really well done. Um, so obviously the convention, while it doesn't explicitly take place at the end of the off season, you know, but it does stand intentionally at the transition point between where you're making changes to your team and then where you are anticipating the season ahead. And the Cubs do still have some things to do. I think we know they will make at least one more addition in the bullpen from here. Um, and uh, reportedly agreeing with Trey Mancini on a contract over this past weekend. So things will still be uh, happening, but as I think Jed Hoyer put it, um, oh, what's the phrase they love to use about the the bulk or the the heavy lifting? The heavy lifting is done uh, for the off season, and that started with again right after we recorded our last uh, episode of the podcast. Before we kind of took a little break for the holidays, uh, was the Dansby Swanson signing, and I thought it was. I, I I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on this. So at the front office panel. Um, I believe it was GM Carter Hawkins who said that when the Cubs front office was looking at the landscape of both improving their own team, but also what was going to be available in free agency, one of the things that they thought about uh, was not just that they wanted to have a better defensive team and, you know, thinking about shift restrictions and, and all that kind of thing. It was that they thought there was going to be inefficiencies in the free agent market this offseason to be able to try to improve their defense like that that was going to be an angle where they might find a little bit of an edge uh, again not just for their team but relative to the market and I couldn't decide in the moment if that was a true and meaningful reveal or if that was a little bit of like a uh, an ex post facto rewriting of things because the Cubs did happen to land Dansby Swanson, for example, which the, the, the best way you could talk about that signing is it's likely going to be a, a huge impact for the defense. And so, yeah, I was curious to get your guys' take of whether that was a meaningful reveal about the inefficiency the Cubs saw in that market, or it kind of worked out that way. So let's talk about it that way. Cause it's always good, you know, you can have multiple paths to getting better. And that could have been one of them. And um, yeah, I just, I, I wonder if that was just me. Yeah. I mean, maybe specifically with Swanson and uh, I, I feel like Bellinger was their primary target from the start. So not as much him, but 
I will say that I believe it was at the GM meetings before they'd made any signings, right? That And before anyone had signed. And none of those big deals... Yeah, no, nothing had happened because they couldn't sign anyone at the GM meetings. Uh, Jed said on the record that he talked about defense and, and how, how important it was in 2016 uh, and that, that period from 16-17 when, when they were just like a really good team, how much that stood out to him. And... Honestly, I don't remember such an emphasis on, like, obviously we've written about it and talked about how great that 2016 defense was, right? There are numbers that back up that it's arguably one of the greatest defenses uh, put together, right? So so we know that that's the case, but I don't remember that much emphasis put on it until Jed started talking about, like, talking about this again maybe that's just because it's been so long since they've they've had a a, there's been a time where they can actually talk about you know building stuff via free agency since they really haven't been very active uh, outside of right before uh, spring training last year uh, after the lockout ended but yeah I I do think there was and and Jed kind of put a little cold water on the fact that this was their path from the start right he he said that after the Swanson um uh, presser he talked about he was asked is, is was this like what you guys wanted defense first he's like you know there's so many paths to building a winner and we don't want to you know lock ourselves into one single way to do this but it's kind of the way it worked out and, and it kind of how it, the, the cards fell type thing uh, but I do believe they they are really focused on that and I think it's an easy way or an undervalued way to raise that floor and that's kind of been like I said that's kind of been my thought process for looking at their offseason um, once it became clear that they weren't getting that superstar and and going and making a like a huge leap uh, it's like what are they doing to make this team just to avoid these worst case scenarios where we're looking where Patrick and I are sitting in the press box in May and like okay we're done writing about games we got to keep thinking about big picture stories right like like, I, I selfishly I'm thinking about myself there but just for everyone I mean fans were checked out by early May right I, I I mean there was a blip in 2021 where they where they had a good I think it was a good May right but ultimately it was a terrible season and like you you can't have fans checked out in, in the when when Wrigley should be packed and it's the m- most beautiful time of year and in Chicago and and I think they've done that even if they don't have the sexiest names and and there's going to be some grumbling I'm still getting that grumbling I, I don't know <laughs> You guys are, but there's still that grumbling just because that superstar name isn't there. But uh, I do think there was some emphasis on pitching and defense, and I think that's the that's the best way to kind of avoid these uh, 12-year, uh, $300 million deals that they just don't seem prepared to do at the moment. Uh, I, I don't think it's something that I would rule out from them uh, ever. I, I think that's something that could be coming in the near future if, if we – if we see this Cubs team continue to grow, but yeah, pitching and defense seems to have been a, a, a path. I don't think it's, it's Carter rewriting history, but I do think uh, it, it is kind of how it fell. And, and they took advantage of that because they know how valuable that can be. I mean, look at, look at where Carter comes from. He comes from Cleveland and that's how they've done it. And and they've had to do it that way, right? They can't go out and spend, I mean, they could, but their owner doesn't allow them to go out and spend on these gigantic free agents and, and keep that they have to the way they keep their superstars. Cause he took this insanely under market deal. Right. So 
that's that he's seen it work and and while Cleveland hasn't won a World Series, they're doing a lot of good things without spending uh, you know, Mets amount of money, Dodgers amount or even Cubs amount of money. So so it's a path that works and it's a tried and true path and and they seem to it seemed to have fallen in place for them so far. Yeah, I mean what was Carter gonna say? Like, yeah, I mean look, we <laughs> We we panicked, you know. We there's no one else out there to take our our we, money, and so we, we wanted gave, that we, offense. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, a, all right, defense, I guess. You know, the guy, you know, give a guy who just had the best season of his life, uh, you know, what what was it? Something like almost forty million dollars more than he was willing to uh, take from Atlanta only a couple weeks earlier. If that's how the kind of reporting, that's kind of the hints that we had gotten. So. But there were definitely elements of like David Ross, his pitching and defense narrative. He's been talking about for a long time of, you know, you know, the the winning championship caliber teams I were on were built on pitching and defense. And clearly there was a feeling within the Cubs organization that they wanted to upgrade their defense at catcher. And they had, uh, you know, zero interest or, you know, very little interest in retaining uh, Wilson Contreras, certainly not at uh, the price that he was uh, justified uh, in seeking. Um, You know, there are those other pathways of if the Dodgers don't uh, release Bellinger, then they'd really be scrambling. And Hosmer kind of, you know, fell in their laps on a, you know, if he's not hitting or he's not performing uh, a couple months in here, I, I don't think it's going to be very hard for the Cubs to to move on there. And then it's also just I, I think, Sahadev, you're the one who kind of like brought up the point to me of what the Cubs were saying of like, you know, <laughs> they didn't quite phrase it this way, but like we were so bad in so many areas that we like inevitably had to like just get like baseline competency and that would raise everything and defense was certainly an area uh whether it was at first base uh looking at you know the middle infield with these shifts rules and um you know i guess a final interesting point you know i thought was tom ricketts saying that of the four shortstop stansby was the one we thought would stay at shortstop uh the longest that's what their projection said and i think that's probably uh, a reasonable guess and obviously he's going to have to stay there for a long time to kind of bring bring the value of um you know paying i think we've said this before on this podcast before this free agency of you know and i think maybe you saw it of like the cubs paid jason hayward like an offensive superstar at that time um you know, valuing his defense, his leadership, his base running, stuff like that. Like the vibe from the Cubs is like, we're never going to do that again. And they're really hoping here that Swanson does have, you know, more in him or um, an ability to sustain what he did offensively the last two years uh, in Atlanta. Cause otherwise there are a lot of parallels there of like paying, um, you know, an elite defender, like a middle order hitter. And we'll see how long um, that is sustainable uh, for the Cubs. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, you know, I um, resisted the comparison for a while. I think just you're in the heat of transactions going down and getting a a clearer picture of what the Cubs are trying to do, what they can do, what they can't. And uh, that idea that, oh, the Cubs just did another Hayward big contract that supposedly comes with that defense and base running floor, great leader, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But is he going to hit? and you know, I, I struggle with um, the unconscious bias of looking back at like Hayward's performance heading into that free agent year and where I can now say, oh, well, I see all the warts. You know, it should have been very clear that there was going to be significant issues going forward offensively for him. And some of that's just stories we tell ourselves to to feel better about things. But I think you're right to highlight the fact that the, with Swanson, the Cubs need to believe both that even if he doesn't replicate his offensive success from 2022, that there's going to be need to be some baseline of offensive performance going forward to justify the commitment. And they need to be right that he is the most likely to, to stick at shortstop of this group and do so at a very high level, almost for the full duration of this deal, because he's not a guy for as for as valuable as he can be in a lot of ways over the next three, four, five years, I don't really see him, uh, if he's not able to stick at shortstop, then the last few years of that deal at where we would project his offense to be at that time, you know, they become years that you you start thinking about eating. And uh, the Cubs are not in a place right now, and we saw this in some of the moves they declined to make kind of what Zahadev was talking about. They're not in a place right now where they're going to sign the 250 million plus guy to a deal that, you know, is going to outlive his utility. Um, I think we didn't really even get a chance to talk about that, that it was an interesting shift or, or I guess we'll see if it's a shift or if it was a one-off, but clearly there was a decision made by a number of free a uh, number of front offices this offseason to push down the AAVs on their deals knowing full well 
that Xander Bogarts is not going to be a big-time contributor when he's 39, 40, and 41 years old for the Padres. That that has nothing to do with why they were signing that deal in that way. It's to keep the AAV down in the first four, five, six years of the deal when you want to try to uh, buttress the rest of your roster with some other additions. Um, and so that time will be coming for the Cubs. I know that that's... Not It's not fun for fans to have to think about that whole idea of like, oh, there's a time to really push in. There are these cycles where it makes more sense to to really spend big on guys that you're, you know you're going to get the most impact in the first few years of a deal, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that time is coming. And I think that the depth that the Cubs have created organization-wide is very different from what it was in 2014, 2015, the last time they were willing to start really pushing in on those big contracts, knowing that there would be some some dead years at the end. And you hope that they can keep that part of the they can keep that part of it going into the future where they do routinely have guys, quality, depth guys coming in to supplement the roster at, at the margins, um, where you aren't having to constantly spend to add another reliever or in terms of prospect capital or constantly go through periods of time where you're bringing up your seventh or eighth starting pitcher and it's just a dead zone for you because you don't have that depth. I, I, I suppose I think about that a lot in terms of what's the difference between this rebuild and the last one. And I think it's a little superficial to say, well, the last one had superstar prospects on the positional side, and that was the the thrust of it. That's true, but I think that there's, I think we're going to find that there was also just something underneath that layer that just was not quite there, that just wasn't quite what it needed to be in order to sustain it longer than a, a, a tremendous peak and then a very quick fall, um, which is obviously what we saw and what nobody wants to see over the next three years. Yeah, I mean, I think what what'll really be interesting. We're starting to see the pitching come up, right? We we have some evidence that that this pitching infrastructure uh, that you know was overhauled is is working, right? We we don't have this superstar Cy Young guy just yet, or this dominant closer uh, to watch. But there clearly something's working, right? They didn't even have a Justin Steele before that. That's just one example, and we have three or four or five other guys that are going to be in the rotation or bullpen that that you can say, "Oh, wow, that's that's interesting." They they never had that before during that stretch of winning. They went, didn't they go like six years between having a homegrown pitcher yeah. on the roster? I, I was thinking about like, how I wrote that piece in eighteen, I believe. Uh, and and I was thinking about this before Cubs convention because Theo got asked about that that exact piece uh, at at a Cubs convention. He's like, someone asked, a fan asked, and Theo's like, well, that that was a little misleading. And and I was like, yeah, okay, I, I guess I can see how you're saying it's a little misleading, but but it it basically showed like where they ranked among uh, innings pitched and WAR from homegrown pitchers. Uh, essentially, you know, from the start of their drafts, right? And this was from 12 to 6 or 18, essentially. And it was like a handful of innings and like nothing uh, of war. Uh, so, so yeah, the, 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 it's just completely shifted. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to revisit that just to show 
even in such a short time, how much that's changed. Uh, and, and I think that's fascinating. But uh, I think another element to that is, okay, now we need to start seeing these uh, position players. We saw Morrell, we saw Velasquez, but let's let's see some guys that just not even I'm not talking about Brennan Davis and and, uh, you know, eventually someone like Pete Crow Armstrong. I'm just talking about not being forced to sign a, a you know, a depth piece for second and third base right going with someone like chase strumpf uh can can he can he show up like you know these all these random names of guys that that had good seasons like can they be major league players and provide bench value so you're not spending in those areas and those like five ten million dollar deals whatever they've inflated to now don't don't eat up some of your payroll so you're saying well it can't can't get that extra reliever impact reliever whatever it is you know, Jake Slaughter, Johendrick, uh, no, no, uh, not Pinyango. Who's the other guy? Perlaza. Uh, all these, there's all these random names that you go look and they're like, wow, those numbers are good. Are those guys major leaguers? You didn't really even have that where you were intrigued and wondering, can these guys help, uh, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Now you at least have that. Now I want to see them show up. I want to see when the depth is tested can they come up and give them two weeks, right? Because the whole point of when, when I talk about this floor and raising this floor is, and part of it was happened last year, right? Uh, it, it was nice that Morrell and Velasquez got all that time last year. But if you're in a winning season, you don't want these guys that have no experience and, and at times look really raw and, and don't know the basics. Like Velasquez was at times in the outfield, like in – you know, in a critical situation, like firing at home when he had no chance to get a guy at the plate when he should have just thrown to second and kept the guy, you know, little things like that. That's not those are the types of things that you learn over time. Great learning experience for him, but hurts them at the time. Maybe now when when Velasquez is called upon, he'll have that experience and you don't have six weeks of a learning curve for these guys that just aren't really ready for the major leagues. Morrell had a great first four to six weeks or whatever it is, but his at-bats by the end of the season were really rough at times. He just didn't put up a professional at-bat. Now you're, now he's got that experience. He's, he's, he can learn from that. You, You have all these guys getting experience. So whether it's Strumpf or Slaughter or whoever, maybe they, they're not the first people called up, but if you're, Ideally, they're not the ones that are going to be called up for weeks upon weeks, right? You have some experience now, you have some depth, and you get these guys a couple weeks. If they can hold you over for two, three weeks, great. That's that's what you want from your minor league depth. You don't want them carrying you. Uh, you don't want to have to rely upon them. So it's kind of, I'm curious to see what that depth is, what they have built, but it's also part of this offseason was, well, we don't want to have to rely on them constantly if if we have if if we do get hit with some injuries like they did last year uh and they didn't have Javier Assad ready and they didn't have Hayden Wisniewski in the system uh they couldn't eat up those innings and it just became this disaster of a season uh from almost the get-go and and I think the system is completely different this offseason has set them up to not have to rely on the system just yet but it also allows them uh time to grow and maybe become just a better better organization overall and if and if 2023 is looked at as a success i think it's it's uh some of those guys get some experience but also it's it's about like competing in the division and then and maybe maybe some surprising 
which Ian Happ I thought was really funny talking about how he hates he hates it being a surprise. He's like it, it should never be a surprise to the people in the room in the clubhouse. Maybe we'll surprise you guys, but none of us should be surprised by what we do uh, if we're winning this season. So I, I think that's a good good way to look at it that let this team go in with a ton of confidence and, and expectations on themselves. And, and if, and if we're surprised and that's, that's a good end to the year. During uh Saturday's uh, road to Wrigley panel, Sahadev and I were standing next to each other off to the side. And I believe it was Owen Casey who said, you know, everyone up here wants to be hall of famers. And in my head, I was waiting for the marquee follow-up to be like, do you think all of you will be first ballot Hall of Famers or will you have to wait till the second? But that's just me taking a shot. But um, I did think overall it was better that the prospects were not the focus of this, that granted they don't have a Chris Bryant uh, who was like, you know, the franchise savior or had to be the franchise savior from the moment he was drafted, that – you know, it was kind of absurd having 13 prospects up there on stage. Um, but I do think the Cubs were intentional about just adding grownups to the team, which I think is really important. There was more of an intentional effort to bring in, um, if not good clubhouse guys, or, you know, I think some of that's overrated of like leadership and blah, blah, blah. But like they really slapped together a roster um, before and after the lockout last year. And it was just kind of like throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. And and I thought that there was a definite um, focus on bringing in not just the competency on the field, but also what was, very easy to see and hear during Dansby Swanson's press conference that he more or less knows what he's getting into and that he understands that when you take a big contract like this, there are responsibilities that come with it that aren't just, you know, from the first inning to the last out of the game. And Saad and I have heard this about Jamison Tyon as well, that he is like this uh, pitching nerd who loves to get into the the granular details and that he's the one organizing stuff for the pitchers, whether it's breakfast or, you know, watching each other's bullpen sessions. Uh, obviously Trey Mancini has a you know, very compelling backstory to how he got here and is known as this just off the charts uh, clubhouse guy. Um, and I think all that stuff matters. And so it's like, you know, you could look at this deal, you know, was it, did they overpay or could you have done something else? But, you know, if you're the Cubs, you had to buy some credibility this offseason. You had to, like, you know, be able to walk into the room in Mesa on what February whatever and look around and be like, okay, like, this, this could work. Like, this could be, you know, a viable, relevant team past, like, May 6th, which they were not last year. So... I think they they went a long way um, in just kind of uh, creating some some credibility and some optimism as as fleeting as it could be. You know, you know, things always go wrong. But to your guys's points, like there is a little more uh, insurance built in here, I think, from within of being able to withstand, you know, the inevitable uh, adversity 
and stuff that's going to go sideways or the unpredictable things that you know you can't foresee. I think the Cubs are, well, not the most glamorous team right now. Um, I think there's been a lot of like reasonable uh, moves to like put them in a position to where you know a couple weeks into the season we're not talking about next year's free agent class or like you know doing the like trade chip power ranking type stories and uh to all that i would add that the cubs also didn't do anything necessarily that would uh do harm to the long term which i know is always the balance that they reiterate a lot but i i think about the fact that i mean i'm being slightly cheeky when I say it, but, but I do mean it that like, there's a lot you could do in an off season to raise the floor of your team. That's not actually hard. If you have an infinite budget and you could just go nuts, but, but to do it in a way that is thoughtful about what you do have internally balancing against that in the future, wanting those opportunities for certain guys, um, wanting to be competitive in the near term realistically, but also still have the ability to, continue to improve in the years ahead and i think that's been a very satisfying part of the offseason is to see both of those hands working together at the same time um speaking of which there will potentially be some more short-term additions coming for the cubs um jed hoyer suggested at the convention that there were still multiple things being worked on and i think we can safely conclude that mancini was one of those things uh but there's very likely to be another arm added in the bullpen. And the Cubs have had that success finding reclamation guys. Um, and I, I don't think they'll shy away from that route. They've built up a lot of credibility there. But there are still quite a few really interesting arms available, particularly lefty relievers, that I hope they will be looking at closely, suspect that they will. But otherwise, it might just be sort of some more minor league deal type moves before spring training starts in a month. Um, and that's where we'll leave it for now. This is On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That is Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic. If you didn't catch up on all the convention stuff or if you weren't following closely, or even if you were, make sure you go over to the Cubs page at The Athletic because these guys have a ton of really interesting stuff that they put together over the past few days. And we will be back at you soon. We'll get into a regular rhythm as spring training approaches for the podcast. So don't worry, we didn't go away. We aren't going away. It's just uh, until the, the season gets a little closer, we don't get in those regular rhythms. But for today, it was good talking to you folks, and we appreciate you listening. And we will be back at you soon. Take care.